two, one. We're live. This is Retrace, segment number 59 for Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022, 11 p.m., 8 p.m. Pacific, and all the other times. We're going to talk more about AMA 4E. We're going to almost wrap it up. I'm going to do everything except the technical appendices, which I'll do tomorrow, maybe the day after. We're going to talk about interacting. We're going to talk about learning. We're going to talk about conclusions, not necessarily in that order. What is AMA 4E? AMA 4E is Artificial Intelligence Modern Approach by Russell and Norvig, the gold standard textbook in artificial intelligence, or at least in a, as an introductory undergraduate or l- low graduate level uh, artificial intelligence. It's not a specialist book, but it's got a lot of specialist stuff in it. It's great. And we are on our third day of diving into the details. What's Retrace? Retrace is about what's going on out there. It's a podcast. You should have known it's a podcast. You're right here already. You should have known that already. It's about what's going on out there. The short answer to that question is computer control. There's a whole history behind that short answer. You should go listen to some back episodes or don't. It doesn't matter. The long answer is that what's going on out there is nature, which is not effing around, artificial intelligence, which is new, strategic intelligence, which is in between, and natural intelligence, which is old. Uh, Strategic intelligence is, uh, in our usage of it, espionage, counterespionage, and covert action. The other thing that's going on out there is humanity, and that's the best part of what's going on out there. Retrace is for outsiders. It's an important distinction to make. But we came to the conclusion that outsiders are not players, and the computer control game is player-oriented, so now we're learning to play. How are we learning to play? We're reading the rules. We're reading the manual. RTFM has multiple meanings on this podcast. Go look it up. Multiple meanings. Okay, so on day one, we talked about the preface, laying the groundwork. What's our phenomenon? Intelligent agents. What's our science? Artificial intelligence. We talked about aspects of the phenomenon, agent functions, learning, goals. Uh, we also talked about intelligence as such. We gave definitions. Found, we talked about the foundations and history and philosophy. We talked about agents. We talked about problem solving. Solving by searching, problem solving in complex environments, adversarial games, constraint satisfaction problems, treating states as gray instead of black or white. And day two, we talked about thinking and uncertainty. Those are sections three and five, uh, four of the of AMA 4E. Um, thinking is knowledge, reasoning, and planning. Uncertainty is uncertain knowledge, reason, and planning. There was and and uncertainty was the big chapter. That's or the big section. That's the biggest section in the book. However, today we're going to talk about learning, interacting, and conclusions. And learning, especially chapter nineteen, kind of kind of comes out of nowhere at you. If you're thinking thirteen and eighteen are the beasts. You also have to be ready for chapter 19, learning from examples. It's it's where they sort of lay the foundations of learning. What do we mean by learning? What are the basic approaches? What are the limitations? Et cetera, et cetera. So that's where we're going to start. And we'll also come to the the conclusion section. Section seven is is sort of like, it looks like an afterthought. It's it's, it's just a little little slice in in the page count. But it's got the biggest stuff in it. The biggest stuff is in the preface, like big in terms of importance of ideas and applicability and relevance to the world outside of the practitioner of artificial intelligence. Preface and conclusion. That's where the big stuff is. That's also why the, that's the fewest number of pages because it's so massive you can't really write about it. If you, well, never mind. Okay, so let's talk about learning. Um, and w- there header for this section is not learning, it's machine learning. We're talking about machine learning, but it really applies more broadly, and you can learn a lot about how non-machines learn, if we're really not machines. That's becoming controversial. Um, 
by studying how machines learn or trying to make machines learn. Okay. So, uh, we start with chapter 19, which is learning from examples. This is the big one of the chapters we're going to deal with. This is the larger of them. Uh, chapter 19 is about improving behavior. Learning is about improving behavior by observing the present and predicting the future. Maybe you can observe the past. You can't really observe the past. You can observe evidence of the past, blah, blah, blah. So that's what learning is. And then if we're doing it with machines, then we call it machine learning. And the way they define machine learning is a computer observes some data, builds a model based on the data, and uses the model as both a hypothesis about the world and as a piece of software that can solve problems. Interesting. Using the model as both a hypothesis and a piece of software. We kind of do that too. I mean, it really just depends on whether or not you think humans are or analogous to me. I actually, oh my gosh. Hmm, should I tell you this? Now I have to. I wrote a long, it was like eight, it was long for me, eight or nine single space pages um, years ago in the development of this podcast, trying to figure out like what this podcast should be. Uh, it was a long sort of exploratory essay called Are We Like Machines? And it's really a tough question. Um, but it wasn't a good essay, and that's why you won't be able to read it, because I, I didn't do a good job at it. All right, so when we're talking about mach uh, machine learning techniques, we've got a list here in Chapter 19. Uh, supervised learning, uh, learning it, they talk about learning decision trees, uh, model selection and optimization, theory. Of I'm basically going through the headers of this Chapter 19. That's, that's what this list is. I'm not going to do that with every chapter, but with this one, this seemed like the best way to give you an overview. Uh, the theory of learning. Then linear regression, which is finding the best fit line uh, through a plot of points is the best way to think about it. You can do it in multiple dimensions, but the easiest one is two, you know, Cartesian, two-dimensional. You got a bunch of dots. You don't connect the dots. You draw the line that fits through them the best. That's linear regression, and it really is it's really applicable and analogous to predicting the future um, or, uh, you know, based on plotting a line from the past, but the future and the past or dependent and independent variables. It just depends on what you call them. It's all the same sort of, um, at a technical level or at a mathematical level, it's the same sort of task. Plot the past and then draw, do linear regression to find the best fit line. And then you can, um, then you can extrapolate or interpolate where other dots are going to be, where the future, it doesn't have to be actually in the time future. It can just be unknown values in your, that would be in your domain. That's linear regression. Non-parametric models. So parametric models, let me see if I can do this. Parametric models basically take the data that you've learned from and, and simplify them into a number of parameters, uh, which makes it easy to say, okay, these are the things that matter. We adjust this parameter up or down, this one up or down, and that's how we, we learn um, what's going on. Non-parametric mo models don't do parameters. They... they preserve all the data and, and, and work from the data um, directly. It's also called instance-based or memory-based learning, and it's more true to large data sets at scale. I'm not sure if, if it doesn't necessarily make scaling easier, but it deals with the scale of data better. If you've got billions and billions of points of data or, or pieces of information, numerical information, um, you don't really want to, because in parametric um, uh, parametric models, you throw out the data once you have the parameters. You just ignore it. Where you have no memory, you sort of abstract out of the data the parameters that you think, and then, and then in non-parametric models, you don't do that. Um, 
Okay, so that's non-parametric models. Ensemble learning is using multiple hypotheses instead of one. And remember, did I say this? So, the, uh, yeah, I did. A computer builds a model and uses the model as both a hypothesis about the world and then also software that can solve problems. So, if we use multiple hypotheses, i.e. multiple models instead of one, and we average them, or maybe they get weighted voting or do some sort of way of synthesizing them together to get a better model. Those first models that we use are called base models, and then the combined model is called an ensemble model. Again, when we talk about models, we're talking about um, the, what, what, the, what our machine learning technique, however, whatever technique we've used, has created uh, a hypothesis about the world. And that hypothesis also happens to be usable as software for problem solving. I know it's kind of abstract. This is the heavy stuff, right? Like this is, and this is in our time, like machine learning is the thing, right? Like deep learning is a subset of machine learning. Machine learning is the whole category. Deep learning involves deep neural networks. That's only one kind of machine learning. There are other ways of doing it. We're talking about them now. Um, but that's what's in vogue now. Uh, so it's very, this is technical and this is heavy and this is where the cutting edge is, is or you know, has been recently, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so that's ensemble learning. And then, then they talk at the end about... Um, sort of the engineering side of machine learning, developing systems, practice as opposed to theory, um, design patterns. I don't know if they mentioned design patterns, but that, that's what I saw in, in what they were describing. So design, pattern, design patterns is a term in software engineering or in software in general. Okay, that's chapter 19. That's learning from examples. We're going to compare learning from examples to learning from reinforcement, rewards and punishments. But we're not going to do that in chapter 20. We're going to do it in chapter 22? Yes, 22. So a couple of chapters here before we get to the other kind of learning, not example learning, but reward and punishment learning. Um, chapter 20, learning probabilistic models. This is where we're going to view learning as uncertain reasoning from observations, which we've already dealt with yesterday. We talked all, almost all day about uncertainty and how we can grapple with it technically and using probability theory and using Bayes nets, et cetera, et cetera, to deal with it tractably. Um, so we view learning itself as an uncertain as uncertain reasoning from observations, and we model the world accordingly. Okay, I, I wrote a little bit on this. I'll just read it. Agents can't use probability and decision theories until they learn them from experience. Treat learning itself as an inference process in a probabilistic world. Use Bayesian networks. Key concepts are data and hypotheses. And now I'm quoting from Ama 4E here. Here, the data are evidence instantiations of some or all of the random variables describing the domain. Okay, random variables. I don't know what you picture when you hear that, but you're probably, unless you have training in statistics and probability, you're probably picturing the wrong thing. Don't imagine a thing that's just, don't picture a random number generator or some sort of um, butterfly effect chaos thing in the world. A random variable is a very technical. Random variable is a very technical term, um, and I've tried to capture it with a few sources here. But I, the best one, I didn't write down. So maybe I'll read that one first. Um, just bear. This won't take long. But you need to understand when you hear random variable, you have to suppress your urge to picture what the normal English English words in that term are causing in your mind. A random variable. This is from. Oh, God, who is this guy? I forget his name, and I don't have it because I took the book apart. Oh, goodness. Darn it. What is his name? I, I can't explain to you why I don't have this in front of me. Because it was a part of one book. Oh, 
I'll cite him in the... It's Mathematics as Content, Method, and Meaning. It was in three volumes. I had to cut it into three pieces because it was a big... It was in one volume, three volumes in one. It was a big, fat thing, and I couldn't work with it. So I cut it in three volumes, and now I don't, I don't use it that often anymore, and I forgot the guy's name. He's a Russian guy. Um, it's not nearby. I don't have it. Anyway, okay. Here's the Russian guy's definition of a random variable. Uh, it's the name given to a quantity which, under given conditions may take various values with specific probabilities. Okay, that's not actually as helpful as I thought it would be. All right, here are the other ones. Um, whenever a unique, this is from Kramer. Oh, Edna Kramer? I think it's Edna Kramer. She's awesome. Yeah, Edna E. Kramer. I don't know, this book is definitely not in print, but, um, or almost certainly not. The Nature and Growth of Modern Mathematics. You know, there are a lot of books that regularly disappoint. I have a lot of math books, especially that, um, I go to them, EDM2, if you guys know what that is, and it's like, man, I almost never find what I'm looking for in that damn book. But then there's other books, Edna Kramer's Nature and Growth. Oh, man, it never disappoints. Okay. Um, so her definition of a random variable, and Ama is like that too. It's a book that never, ever disappoints in my experience. It's never, it's, I've never gone looking for something that should be in there and not been able to find it. Very few books in the world. Can, can, claim, can make such a claim about themselves. Um, Edna Kramer on random variables. When a unique number is, a unique number X, you know, in mathematical X, a unique number X is associated with each possible outcome of a random experiment, such as a coin toss, a die roll, or def defects in a sample of, you know, products on an assembly line, the number X is called a random variable. So the variable is not the number, it's the, it's the value it's the possibility of a value that can be taken from um, a bunch of experiments. Uh, and, and there's specifically the values that, that can manifest in that random variable. The, once it has a value, it's not a variable anymore. It's a value. So the, the, but each value that it could take, this variable could take, is, is associated with a probability. I know I can't, I'm not really ready to explain this. I'm, I've only sort of come to terms with it today. I've never had to do anything using re like real random variables. Um, and, and also the other thing is that you're hearing, you might, if you're any sort of technical, but you're not uh, trained in statistics and probability, you're, you're probably hearing variable and thinking either mathematical, like just algebra or in calculus, or you're um, thinking about computing and you're, you're talking about um, variable uh, value stored in memory. This is not that. Random variable has nothing to do with those. I mean, it's like distantly related in some sort of sense of the word variable, but not in the sense of random. Um, it's They're almost not random. I mean, the probability, I, I think the random part of the term comes from the random sampling or the random experiment on nature or the random, the, the unbiased experiment on nature. Okay, I spent too much time on this. I'm sorry. I knew I was going to do that. Uh, okay. And then the other definition is a numerical variable, uh, discrete or continuous. That's the other thing. It doesn't have to just be a one, two, three number. Um, it can be, it can, the domain can be, or the range can be uh, continuous, which makes it more difficult to deal with. But it takes different values with different probabilities during experiments. It's all about experiments producing data that's either, you know, that could be either of discrete values or, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I should stop. This is all going to go in the more mathematical stuff when we do that. I'm sorry. I just, I, I love and I hate the math, and, and so I get, I get stuck into it. Chapter 21. So, so far we talked about learning from examples and then learning, specifically learning probabilistic models. So, instead of being given a model, we learn them, our agent learns the model. Okay, now we're talking about deep learning. <gasps> Ever heard of deep learning? You should have. How are you listening to this if you haven't heard of deep learning? Deep learning is the sexiest, most, most attractive, most enticing, most seductive 
uh, latest uh, version of artificial intelligence, right? Okay, or component of it. It's really a component, right? Um, what is deep learning about? It's about representing hypotheses as complex algebraic circuits with tunable connection strengths. That's crucial. You're going to think deep learning, and you might be thinking, oh, you can, you know, identify objects and images, or maybe you can predict what somebody's going to say, you know, what's some, what the answer to a question in, in natural language, or maybe you're thinking of Dali 2, and you can generate images from text and all this stuff. What you should be thinking about when you hear deep learning is you should is these complex algebraic circuits so they're not actual circuits you could you could do all deep learning with actual physical electro, electronic circuits but of course that's crazy to do we have computers that can um, that can you know uh, a modern uh, a von neumann computer can can become any circuit you want it to be with transistors instead of actually rebuilding the hardware you just rebuild the software that's what computing is in a sense okay so uh, you represent if you take a hypothesis about the world a model of what you think the world, what's true about the world, but you the the form that you put it in, the form that you build it, uh, is is a is a complex algebraic circuit, and you can tune the connection weights between um, the the different components of the circuit, or the different nodes of the of the network. That's deep learning. So that's that's the that's what d deep learning is in its most literal sense. Okay, let's let's go on. The circuits are organized into layers. That's what makes them deep. So you can have you can have neural networks that are just like one layer, they're very simple and can't do very much, but if you layer them and you have an efficient way of tuning the circuits, back, back propagation, if you have a, an efficient way of tuning the circuits to get the output that you want, um, either by using train, like supervised learning by training the thing you know, with a teacher or a supervisor, or um, reinforcement learning by, by building into the whole system um, rewards and punishments, if you've got all those things, you've got a magic system that can do really crazy, amazing stuff like recognize things and predict what you're going to say and take whatever you say and turn it into a crazy piece of art. All things that we all want to be able to do, right? Um, the layers make it into a multi-step computation path. It's ideal for recognizing, translating, and generating images and speech, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then also we should point out that from chapter 10, we can think of deep learning or uh, you know, deep neural networks as, um, knowledge as a knowledge representation language, a way of representing uh, knowledge, and uh, it's best suited for reasoning about images, sounds, and other data. And also, if you're looking for fancy terms, you think gradient descent, backpropagation, convolutional neural networks, this all falls under deep learning. These are the, these are the more recent breakthroughs, etc. Okay, that's deep learning. Now we're going to talk about reinforcement learning. Previously, we talked about um, uh, learning from examples, uh, and, and now we're going to talk about, I mean, if, if you... If, if a supervisor gives you examples that are correct and says, you know, no, figure out how to figure out the pattern in these correct examples, that's supervised learning. Um, if you're doing reinforcement learning, um, unsupervised reinforcement learning, uh, you 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 don't need a te you don't need the supervisor in the examples. You just need reinforcement. And in fact, there's a paper um, from the DeepMind people. It wasn't that long ago. Um, I'm trying to click on my own link here, and it's not coming up. Um, Oh, come on. Oh, because I'm in highlight mode. Uh, come on, open, you bugger. Reward is enough. What's the publication date? Gosh, it was, it was like a year and a half ago, May 2021. See, it feels like yesterday. Um, uh, the title is Re Reward is Enough, and the, the thesis of the, or the argument um, or the conclusion of the paper was that, and it was a long paper. I didn't, I didn't, I haven't read it all, um, was that, this is reward is enough as as we're being, as we're implementing it in DeepMind. People are on the cutting edge; they're using deep reinforcement learning. 
uh, which might be Q learning. I don't know what Q learning is. Um, they said reward is enough for the things that we're talking about when we talk about the future of artificial intelligence. It, we might not be there yet, but we don't. There's no breakthrough. There's no other breakthrough that we need. We've already got it. People disagree with that. People say it's like saying that t- you know taking steps is enough to climb Mount Everest. It's like yeah, technically, I guess taking steps is is what you're going to do. It's the ba- the bedrock of what you're going to do when you climb Mount Everest. But there's so much more to it than that. I like that, um, and I certainly hope that we're that it's going to be harder to get to super intelligence than just reward. But anyway, okay, so chapter 22, reinforcement learning, which is learning from experiences of reward and punishment instead of correct examples from a supervisor. And there's passive and active reinforcement learning. There's Q learning. I don't know what Q learning is. Um, there's apprenticeships and inverse re- uh, reinforcement learning, all kinds of different kinds of reinforcement. But you understand basically instinctively. It comes from behaviorism, um, behavioral psychology, rewards and punishments. Everything's rewards and punishments. Okay, that's the end of um, the learning section, chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22. Interacting is a bit uh, lighter weight because this is like what we do with the machines once they've got brains in them, once they're capable of of you know, of it, it, not the machines, the agents. The agents are capable of things like learning, things like pursuing goals or solving problems. Once the you know, we we can get, we don't need to connect them to cameras and sensors and actuators and effectors. Um, if 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 we can just give them dummy data just to get them going, uh, it's sort of like the way. And you know, I shouldn't compare this to raising a human child because everybody gets all uppity about this in the community when you talk about whether or not we should be, whether or not the paradigm should be we teach machines like we, like we teach humans or, you know, whether, whether humans can think. It's like asking, this is um, Edsgard Dijkstra's phrase or answer to this. You know, can a machine think? Well, it's like asking whether a submarine can swim. These are just different things, okay? You're using the wrong word or you're using a word too broadly. Um, so, but you are sort of when you, when you, when you haven't connected the machine to a real to the real world, not a virtual world, not your toy environment, not even a you know the internet or a social network. Although the internet's kind of wild, like maybe it's more intense than the real world. Um, certainly, more, it could be more intense than the surface of the Earth, although they're not necessarily more intense than plasma physics that dominates the the universe. But anyway, um, when you are when you have it at a certain point where it can actually do simple stuff, your agent architecture or architectures there's you know a dozen of them um then you start connecting it to sensors actuators and effectors and an effector is like i think an effector the difference between an actuator and an effector is an effector is like a leg or an arm and an actuator is the components within the effector that can make it do things do actions so actuators uh, actuators and effectors are you know it's the same ball of wax but you know sensors and, and effectors um then you're dealing with the real world. Then you're getting the raw, unwashed real world, as they, as they mentioned, as they the term they use in um, AMA4E. Okay, uh, so so let's interact. Okay, natural language processing. So we're communicating with humans, maybe through a microphone, maybe through typing. We're also learning a lot from what they've written. Remember, everything that we've recorded, including this podcast, everything that we've written, including these notes, that the AI can get its hands on, it can learn from. Once once they're out there, interacting in the real world. Um, and that's mostly via the internet these days. Th- th- that's those sort of that that body of um, uh, 
that corpus of knowledge, I guess. Um, so that's chapter 23, natural language processing. Uh, language models, you hear a lot about language models these days. That you, you should think of them as, quote, a probability distribution describing the likelihood of any string. Um, that's, if you can keep that in your mind, I know it might be kind of a, a probability di- distribution describing the likelihood of any string or an n-gram or some you know, subset of the possible um, uh, character strings in a, in, a, in, a, in a language. So think of terms like n-grams, grammar, syntax, semantics, parsing, vagueness, ambiguity, quantification. These are all the things that come up. These are all the difficulties with language as such. And then you're mixing in what computers can do to help with those things or work on those things. But language is its own ball of wax, another ball of wax, um, before computers. And then computers just... Uh, enter the domain and start making progress on some things. That's that's what AI has done in natural language processing, and it's it's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, it's very real, very real progress and amazing stuff. Um, that's chapter twenty three, interacting. Uh, chapter the first chapter of of the section on interacting. The next chapter, chapter twenty four, is um, deep learning for natural using deep learning to do natural language processing. So basically, how do you deal with the vast, unimaginable complexity of the possibilities of Human language, human natural language, add some deep neural networks. The way that we deal with the vast complexity of images or the vast complexity of sounds, and you can make some some progress. Uh, deep neural networks help with that. Um, represent deep neural networks can rep- represent the world as points in a higher dimensional space instead of just atomistic things. Um, you can use recurrent neural networks for long distance context. I don't really know what a recurrent neural network is yet. Um, the transformer-based self-attention architecture was – there was a paper in like the 90s – I'm going to have to click on the thing again um, – called Attention is All You Need. And it, it basically instead – of, instead of the processing the data sequentially, you the, the, the system looks at all the data at once and then assigns a – it has a way of deciding which – Parts of the sequence are more important than others. That's attention that achieves context. So it's sort of it, it, a computer can can instead of just receiving like the paper tape, like the Turing machine paper tape, one symbol after another, you can kind of pivot the whole world into a three dimensional space or, or two dimensional or three dimensional or n dimensional space, and then you can pay attention to some parts of that space more than others. Attention is all you need. The paper was published in twenty seventeen. Gosh, I thought it was older than that. Well, that goes to show memory. Uh, is not what it used to be. <laughs> okay, uh, that's chapter 24, deep learning for natural language processing, deep learning for natural language processing. Chapter 25 is computer vision. Connect AI to cameras. That's all computer vision is, connect AI to cameras and then see what you get. All Photons are very rich with information. Um, such information is valuable to agents that are trying to perceive, pursue goals, in, in, including general goals, instrumental goals, like not dying. Um, surveillance cameras. It's something to think about. A lot of AI is being connected to uh, surveillance cameras. But they're also connected to cars. You know, self-driving cars aren't going to work unless we're using photons. Um, I think Tesla is, is vision-based, not LiDAR-based. Uh, not vision, you know, But optical range of the spectrum as opposed to um, LiDAR. Laser radar, I think, is what LiDAR is. Um, lots of machines can benefit from seeing the world, including... Are we machines? I don't know. I got I to... Keep going here. Okay. Uh, that's chapter 26. Ch- uh, chapter 25. 26 is robotics connecting AI to sensors, effectors, and actuators. We've already talked about that. This is enabling movement in, I think, arms, and movement of, I think, picking up boxes or dominating the universe of the world. Movement in and of the physical world, not the world of electrons, which is only part of the world, or the world of thoughts, which is chemical electro- chemistry and electrons. Well, electrons. 
chemistry is all about electrons, but anyway, not electronic. And it's, <sighs> kill it, cut it off, pull up. Um, so again, we're talking about cars, also spacecraft, surgeons, robot surgeons, submarines. We talked about submarines again. Delivery robots. Um, and I would just point out about computer vision and robotics that at the top or at, at, in the um, in the preface, they they mentioned that they treat computer vision and robotics not independently as their own defined problems, but as things in service of achieving goals. That's the paradigm of AIMA4E is treating those not as separate subjects, but as um, uh, things in service of achieving agent goals. Okay, that's the end of interacting section. So we've talked about uh, learning and interacting. Now we're going to talk about conclusions very quickly because we talked a lot about the relevant stuff here on artificial uh, on, on retrace already. There are only two chapters, 27 and 28. Chapter 27 is philosophy, ethics, and safety of AI. Chapter 28 is the future of AI. So let's talk philosophy, ethics, and safety. I boil this down to what is AI? We do not know what it is. I've made that point, I think, ad nauseum on retrace. Um, is it more like a, a an emergent creature? Is it is it a super intelligence that's already covering the globe or that, you know, some analog thing like Dyson says that's already sort of controlling us in a cybernetics way? Or is it just what we see in front of us? It's just another tool. It's just way more advanced, blah, blah, blah. Is it is it a tool? Is it tool AI or colleague AI? That's that's um, Daniel Dennett's distinction. Uh, so what is AI? Uh, what should we do with it? This is the ethics and morality of it. You know, it's obviously we can connect it to a lot of different things, but some of those things can have different effects on the world than others. Um what should we do with it? Think, and and I re- okay, and 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 then the last question is, m- what might it do with us? I, I think I can boil this whole thing down to two domains of human, of the human condition, and I'll do that in just a second. So, but take those three questions: What is AI? What should we do with it? And what might it do with us? Um, either do to us sort of in a non-intelligent way, like the way that social media sort of ruins a lot of aspects of life that used to be good, um, or in an intelligent way, like imagine. Like like um, George Dyson says that that the the algorithms themselves themselves have become um, analog and no longer under human control, no longer under programmatic control, and so we're being manipulated to be whatever the the collective set of systems that are in, uh, interacting with us, you know, Marshall McLuhan style, um, are are. are steering us to be it's it's like it's like nature's not effing around right like it all comes down to selection and survival and we might be up against this thing and we don't even know what's happening yet sort of like the way that your gut bacteria don't really know that you're in charge even though they can still affect your life your gut bacteria are not in charge even though there are more of them and, and in a sense they have a lot of influence in the world humans are in charge on earth maybe the new thing um, is is going to be AI. It's not a novel thought, I know, but it's really, I think I don't think very many people have really come to grips with the implications of that thought. Trust is a huge part of this whole thing. What is AI? What should we do with it? What might, what might it do with us? you got to trust a lot of people to even ask those questions. Trust of systems, trust of humans, trust of ourselves, trust of, trust of ourselves. Do we trust ourselves, like individually, collectively? Uh, trust of each other. Also think Norbert Wiener, human use of human beings, cybernetics, and usefulness in general. You know, uh, the, the the what's the Martin Ford wrote the um, the ones about robots taking our jobs. Um, anyway, he's written a few books on that. The rise of the robots. Um, have you thought about how hard it is to be useful these days? I don't mean like a BS job, like, and that had some. I think he was a sociologist, actually, like, did a study, did a monograph on 
BS jobs, but I'm not talking about that because I haven't read that. Um, isn't it isn't it hard to be useful? Is it harder than it used to be? You're you're competing with everybody, and and there's so much more machinery and software that can do so much more with so many fewer people. So there are more people to compete with, and there are more tools to obviate the need for large numbers numbers of people for the tasks that keep things going or keep us amused or keep us keep our preferences satisfied on earth where do we fit into that where do you fit into that where do i fit into that i'm trying to be useful here trying really hard but i also i feel like i really understand better how hard it is to be useful uh having quit my job to do this but anyway something to think about are you useful how useful are you how useful or dare say essential are you to the human project this is a difficult thought to have i'll leave you with that here are the two domains of the human condition that i think all of um all the big questions what is ai what should we do with it and what might it do with us boils down to medicine and war the best things that you can imagine ai doing like the morally best things you can imagine them doing are to do with people born with disabilities or mangled by life or, you know, l- losing a limb, a sense, a, you know, a sense, a sense organ, um, or on the verge of an early death. Uh, medicine against all that. Okay, fine. And we're not talking about human enhancement, although it, it's sort of on a continuum. We're not talking about taking regular people and making them into super people. We're talking about taking people who have had bad luck, the worst kind of luck, Let's say among the worst kind of luck. I mean, there are things worse than death. There are things worse than losing a limb. But those are all in in a on the far end of the spectrum. Together, you don't have to you don't have to parse them beyond that. Medicine is is to do with that. And then the other domain of human the human condition is war. Now, you can always think about well, war is a necessary evil, and we had to fight the Nazis. And okay, fine. Now, I'm not talking about that. Most wars are not against the Nazis. Okay, they're much more they're much more vicious and ugly than any of us appreciate who haven't who haven't seen them firsthand, um, and they're also much more contingent and much less clearly necessary than the war against the Nazis. Medicine and war. That I think that that will tell us a lot. How much medicine and how much war we do with AI will tell us everything we need to know about the future. But it won't tell us in time. It'll tell us too late. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be good news, but it'll be too late if it's bad news. Chapter 28 is the future of AI. Just quickly, it boils down to our tools are going to get better, but our ends, our purposes, what we do with them is not to do with the domain, the discipline of artificial intelligence. That's a philosophy question. That's a morality question. That's, a, that's, a, that's an anthropology question, whether or not we have ever changed our ends really and that's kind of a scary thing it's not kind of a scary thing it's a hundred percent a scary thing if our ends don't change not completely but if we don't find a, a way of avoiding the worst minimizing the negative impacts is the way that russell and norvig frame it right now our preferences and our tools and our architectures all these things they're ours right now they won't necessarily be ours forever if ai really does become its own sort of thing in the, in, the, in the world, its own sort of entity or, or kind of entity. But in the meantime, while this stuff is ours, and hopefully 
that will be the permanent condition. Permanent, nothing's permanent. We should minimize the negative impacts before we try and maximize the positive impacts. That's probably the best way to go. You try and maximize the positive, that's fine. You, you, you're chasing something worth chasing, absolutely. But you're also necessarily ignoring or neglecting the negative impacts, and those can be way, way worse than anything we've ever seen. Artificial intelligence makes everything way, way more than it was before, whether it was way, way better or way, way worse or way, way, you know, uh, ugly or way, way pretty or whatever. You can do all that more with artificial intelligence. Okay, that's the whole book. We've talked from the beginning about intelligence as such, the d discipline of artificial intelligence, which is about the phenomenon of intelligent agents. We've talked about problem solving. We've talked about thinking. We've talked about uncertainty. We've talked about learning. And we've talked about interacting. And we've drawn some conclusions, but not many. And it was, and the conclusions were, were, are, are it's, it's too early. We can't, we can't draw. Now, there are two appendices. One is devoted to mathematics and one is devoted to code. I think I'm going to do those next. Not, I'm no more qualified in those domains than I am in artificial intelligence generally, but I want, I love that stuff and I love uh, taking it on and I think I'm going to put those on retrace paid uh, and, and that, that'll be it. So anyway, I haven't said yet that these notes that I'm working from, this, I'm building a, I've built um, a document it's basically an annotation that covers everything I've talked about, um, but structure, it's structured according to the sections and chapters of AIMA4E. So um, that's at AIMA4E.retrace.com. A-I-M-A, that's AIMA, A-I, a modern approach. 4E, the number 4E.retrace.com. And you can always get to the latest version of it. I'm preserving the versions over time, but the latest version is always there. And the other ones are at notes.retrace.com if you want to look at old versions. And that'll give you everything that I'm talking about here so you don't have to... You can go back through it. It's right now, it's not very long. Without the references page, it's five pages. And it just, it's not a table of contents. Um, it's an attempt to, you know, uh, summarize the book in five pages. And I think it does that. And it will get better over time. Okay. Uh, references and notes will be at our website, retrace.com, R-E-T-R-A-I-C-E.com. Notes.retrace.com is the best place to get to the notes quickly. Or aima4e.retrace.com if you want to get just to the aima4e stuff. Um, this has been segment number 59. Next one's tomorrow, 11 p.m., 8 p.m. Pacific. Signing off.